0: Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by Well, anybody, we are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with, might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with Pick Pico, the founder of Pick's Peanut Butter. Pick, hey, thank you so much for doing this. Well, it's a pleasure. Nice to, nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pick's Peanut Butter, if I'm honest. So not only am I uh, obviously excited to talk to you about your book and, uh, and, and your life, and, um, but, uh, but also, yeah, a, a huge consumer and fan of, uh, of your peanut butter as well. So thank you for that also.
1: Oh, it's a, it's a great pleasure. And, uh, you know, I thought you looked like a sensible person. So,
0: <laughs> um, Do you eat a lot of peanut butter still, Pick? I do, yes. It's my, uh, it's my go-to breakfast thing.
1: Although I often have an egg in the morning, but um, if I'm not, I'm, I have peanut butter on toast just every morning and, uh, and, and often sort of during the day as well.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge fan. If I'm completely honest, I probably do a kilo a week. Well, I'd say our family would do a kilo a week, but out of our family, I'm probably 95% of that. So. Oh, good on you. That's fantastic. And you
1: are looking very healthy on it too, I might
0: say. <laughs> it's the peanut butter, I tell you. Yeah. Hey, um, Peck. I read your book. Oh, gosh! You know all about me. <laughs> what a crazy life you've lived.
1: Yeah, it, it has been, and, it, and it's been a real surprise to sort of come along and at the age of fifty-five to start making peanut butter and 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 suddenly sort of have people listen to me and think I'm clever or, or something. But. You know, just the same sort of guy I was, and, and uh, it's
0: it's been a bit it's been a huge surprise. To have this peanut butter thing come along, you know? Yeah, it's 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 um you know when I when I um, started, I listened to your book actually. I don't use audio books, and I listened to your book, and I was quite surprised that the the peanut butter was probably the last quarter of the book. You know, it's it's you've lived such a, a life before then, and maybe maybe we could sort of give. I mean, it's a it's a story in its own, your life, but um you know, like maybe we start there and just you know, a lot of people listening are going to know you from. From you know, from your peanut butter success, but I think you know, from reading your book, there's a a lot that's gone into making the person that's been able to create that that success. And I think maybe um, if we could just give a bit of a, a cliff notes version of of maybe who you are and what you've done leading up to to sort of starting picks.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I've I've done many different things in my life. I mean, I think one of the most important things I did when I, when I was at school, I learned to make how to make sandals. You know, I watched this. Uh, a sandal maker on the Gold Coast went over for a family holiday there when I was 15 or 16, and I I saw this, this, and I ordered a pair of handmade sandals from this guy because I thought that was a cool thing to have. And I watched this guy make them, and I I figured it wasn't that difficult. And so I bought a few tools and and started making sandals for friends at school. And I think that gave me the freedom to be able to, to sort of do stuff for myself rather than having to go around, you know, gives a job, gives a job, you know, I've, I've done this, I've done that, you need to give me a job. And, um, and so it gave me, uh, I think the ability to, you know, look around, see something that I could do and, uh, and do it and, and, and make a living from it, you know, not much of a living generally, but, but enough to, to get by on and enough to, to be independent and, um, and so, yeah, I started off making the sandals. I got into um, I got into uh, woodworking. I built a house with a mate. We just had a crack at building a house, and we built a house down in the commune in Coromandel. Um, and then I took up uh, uh, furniture making. So I, I ran into a guy in a pub who had a furniture workshop, and he said I could use a corner of his workshop for doing leather work. And I started, um, making furniture in his furniture shop when I ran out of orders. And, and I loved, I loved what machines were capable of doing, you know, that they, cause I've been doing everything by hand and, and to, to discover that machines could do work that otherwise would take me a long time to do by hand. Um, so I sort of fell in love with machines a little bit at that time. And I, um, yeah, I made furniture. Then I started, I got involved with boat building. Built myself a boat. I went sailing. I, oh, yeah, I got, I really enjoyed sailing and I, and I, and I, I was able to build a boat and sail off around the Pacific for a couple of years living, living aboard. That was really cool. It was a big challenge. It was a long, it was a long held dream. And, uh, and after I'd done it and, you know, gone off and sailed around from, from Tonga across to Australia and back to New Zealand, I sort of, I, I I really I was really at a, at a loss to, to figure out what was, what would come next because it had been such a long a long held dream and when it came when it had all when I when I'd done it I, I really was was at a loss to think of what to do next anyway I moved to Nelson I was living in Auckland I moved to Nelson came down here I bought a building because I had all this money from selling a house in Auckland and I bought a a um, commercial building in Nelson here and I thought oh good to put a restaurant in here and uh, I, p- I built this restaurant, this, I, I, I like building stuff and I thought I'll build a restaurant and lease it to someone but nobody wants to lease a restaurant, I want to set up their own restaurant. So I ended up having to run it and uh, it was not a success, you know, I had a good time, I met lots of people, I learned about uh, wines and things, I've since forgotten about wines but I met lots of people in Nelson which was really cool um, but I lost a fair bit of money and when I... Um, Walked away from the from the restaurant. Didn't quite know what to do, and it was a bit of a you know, I was a, a bit of a tail between my legs. There, I thought I might charter out my boat because I still had my boat, and uh, but instead of uh, just rushing in, I, I actually spent a bit of time looking around, and see who was doing what in the charter business, and start. And I developed, found all these all these boats that nobody knew about. So I thought, well, I could publish my list, you know, pay for me to do my research. And I produced a uh, charter boat directory and I had a good time doing that. And I, and I just sort of did it for quite a while, you know, it's five or six years, um, doing this charter boat directory. And I completely forgot the intention of it, which was to find a, a, a worthwhile charter business. But then, anyway, then I find, and then it just occurred to me one day that, you know, we need, we didn't have, we didn't have the sailing schools in New Zealand that we had uh, in other parts of the world, and, and people like to go away on a boat with the with with a with a purpose in mind rather than just get together with a bunch of strangers and go out to have a good time. So and so I started a sailing school, and I got involved with the. Um, the RYA, the Royal Yachting Association in the UK, who ran really good training programs and exams and things. And, and we hook, I hooked them up with the New Zealand Coast Guard. And so we introduced a system of, um, sail training and uh, examining in New Zealand. And I started a sailing school with a mate down here in Nelson. Um, but, uh, but my eyesight was deteriorating. I have macular degeneration, which uh, affects your central vision. So I cannot, uh, I can't read. I don't recognize faces. I don't drive a car. But um, so, so I made it, and I was making it difficult to, to find the merino at the end of the lesson. So I, I gave up the sailing school and um, and sort of retired. I, I started doing a creative. I did a creative writing course at the local Polytech, you know, as a sort of retirement hobby. And, and I had a little laundromat. Down at uh, Nelson Marina, where the yachties wash their clothes. And then I had to give that up as well. And I, and I was getting 200 bucks a week off that. And I had, you know, I sort of retired and enjoying doing my writing course and, and, and had enough to live on if I was careful and with the 200 bucks from the laundromat I have money for the weekend. Then, then I had to give up the laundromat. And I thought, what could I, how could I replace this? And I'd been making a bit of peanut butter for, for my son and myself. And uh, I thought I could, you know, if I, I could make enough peanut butter on Friday morning to sell it, to sell two hundred bucks worth at the at the at the fr- uh, farmers market that afternoon, I could pick up my uh, two hundred dollars, and that's what I did. And I just I spent ten grand, I think, on a carefully budgeted thing where I buy myself a concrete mixer to roast the nuts in, and a grinder, and a and a half a ton of peanuts from a guy in Auckland. And uh, made peanut butter, and I sold sold my first fifty, sold the first fifty jars, you know, first first pop at the at the market, and and um and I was very, I was just trundling along doing that happily, just getting my two hundred bucks a week, and being a retired guy, and and not wanting to stress out, not not wanting to sort of turn it into a huge business because I was quite enjoying taking it easy. And then I began to realize that it wasn't actually very stressful at all. And and I I got a couple of people to help me out with the peanut butter. And and, um, and we just started started growing. And I ended up tipping my retirement fund into the business and going off to China, buying a whole bunch of machinery and uh, starting a a semi-proper factory, uh, you know, and uh, and getting some really good people around me over time and and getting some good systems going and – so we've ended up with this huge, great, you know, peanut butter world down here in Nelson, and this amazing tourist attraction, and uh, and making you know twenty five thousand jars a day, selling it all around the world, and um, it's quite extraordinary, really. It's the most um, most unlikely outcome that I could ever imagine. My, my folks have been thrilled. by my mum, my mum, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but my mum has been overwhelmed and, and very uh, made her very happy, you know, in her in her. Uh, in her old years.
0: It's a fantastic story, like, and I know we sort of try to synthesize, you know, pretty much uh, an entire book into, you know, a couple of minutes there, but, um, you know. I hope that doesn't stop people buying it. Ah oh, no no absolutely not it's 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 intriguing I mean like I can I can tell you some of the things that that, uh, that sort of caught my eye on it you know just to to help tease people a bit more but there was uh, escaping from drug dealers in the in the US there was living in hippie communes traveling musicians failed real estate deals and businesses broken hearts sailing adventures and uh, and there's there's certainly uh, you, you haven't really left much out on the plate to be done as far as uh, a life well lived I could certainly say that oh well thanks thanks
1: Matty I, I uh, yeah I, Hopefully there's a few more adventures in store, you know, but I, I am really enjoying sort of mucking around in the garden and, and spending time at, at, down, out of the beach, you know. I, I'm, uh, I'm loving that. But um, I do enjoy the opportunities that the business gives me to get out around New Zealand and meet, you know, extraordinary people. It's been amazing.
0: I can imagine one thing you know as, as you were talking there there was a couple of things that sort of um, that, that quite interested me you know one was um, this idea of just having a go you know you, you talked about I think you used the word I always we thought we'd have a go at building a house you know I think and you attributed that to the to the sandal maker that you saw in, in Australia but um, you know I think you're, you're you're being slightly modest there I think that you know you obviously have some sort of um, you know ingrained sort of um, aspect of your nature that that is is inclined to just give things a go, and I don't think that that's um, particularly common, you know, particularly these days. And and you, you talked about you know tipping your retirement fund into picks, you know, it's a, it's, that's a that's that's a that's a huge risk. And obviously, there was a lot of calculation behind that, and it wasn't something you just you know decided one afternoon. But I think that you have a um, you know your, your appetite to have have a go and take a risk is is is. Probably unusual, you know. I would think. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting. You know that that thing of um, tipping that money, and it wasn't it wasn't a concern at all. So initially, I when I thought I'd make peanut butter, um, I mean, I made it at home, and I found people who liked it, and, and I and I was pretty confident that I would be able to you know sell fifty jars a week at the market because uh, I enjoyed doing the market, and I had to spend ten thousand dollars. To do that, to be able to make fifty jars in a morning, and, uh, and 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 that sort of thing, and so and 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 I was okay with that. You know, I could afford if it didn't work, I would have ended up with a really nice stainless steel concrete mixer that I could have mixed concrete with. But I could sort of afford to lose, you know, to risk ten k at that point in my life. Um, but the next stage, there was another. There was a stage between when I actually went off to China where I I bought. I ordered some machinery online—a water-cooled uh, peanut grinder, and a great, a great big um, um, electrically powered uh, tumble roaster from China—and I just saw them online and and ordered all this gear uh, without seeing it, and that was really nerve-wracking. You know, I was because I couldn't afford to lose fifty thousand uh, dollars. And I felt there was a risk. I didn't know what I was gonna get, whether it was gonna work or what have you. And and in the event, you know, this roaster just didn't work at all. You know, it just sort of started mashing up the peanuts and burning peanut butter onto the edge of it, and, and it was it was a catastrophe, really. And I thought this is awful. But with the help of some clever engineers and stuff, we managed to make it work. And uh and then the next stage, once and then we got just to, to be able to sell the stuff into a few supermarkets. So I was confident I had the market there. And so the next stage where, um, I, I tipped my retirement fund into it, I, I was really confident, you know, I, I, I felt it would work. I felt if we, if the, you know, if the, if, the, if we ordered, mach- if we got machinery that didn't work, we could fix the problems with it and, you know, overcome that kind of stuff. I also, I also, um, Sought advice, and so I took on a couple of guys uh, by way of advisors. So uh, I consulted my mate, my, my cousin, who's a stockbroker in Auckland. So I didn't have any friends who were, who were sort of business people. Really, I was all, all my mates were sort of artists and and druggies and alcoholics. And um, so 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 I, and 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 Phil put me in touch with um, two friends of his, uh, Keith Jackson and Stuart McIntosh, and their brothers, both brothers-in-law. And, and they provided, so they had had extensive experience with FMCG stuff. And so they helped me with advice and, uh, and, and just made sure that, you know, the plans were sensible. And so, so that gave me the confidence to, to tip that money and without worrying about it at all, really. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lose, I, lose, I lost much more sleep over sending that 50,000 bucks off to China for that second stage. Than I did when I put everything into
0: it, yeah it's interesting, I mean it's still um you know there's still you still have an amazing appetite um, for risk, you know I had um, Michael Hill was on the podcast pick, and he said something really profound that it sort of stuck with me, and it said um, he said you'll never know what you 're capable of unless you try things you don't think you're capable of oh absolutely, absolutely. yeah, yeah no, but, and, and
1: it's so you know it's it's often. It, it's often hard to, you know, I mean, I, I have, I have, you know, I've overcome so many fears and things. And it's often hard to find something scary enough to excite me, you know? So I'm, I'm doing public speaking and things now and I, just, I can stand up and waffle on for an hour and a half. In fact, the longer the better, you know? Hard one is doing a short one, but, um, and at the moment, so I'm learning piano now and I'm, I'm on my 70th birthday, which will be my next birthday. I'm planning to play with friends. And I've always wanted to do that, but I'm very nervous. I'm very nervous about um attempting to make music. And so that's that's a that's a thing that, that is gonna be a challenge. But it is it becomes harder and harder to find things that uh are gonna be challenging.
0: Yeah, well, Michael Hill again said the most dangerous place you can be is is your comfort zone, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to is that you know that idea that um, you know as you're as you get older and you you become more you you live a a, a, you know a a fuller life, you're you start to um, you know things that once scared you and and pushed you out of your comfort zone no longer do that, and 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 if you want to you enjoy that thrill of it, obviously that's something that's innate in you. You enjoy that thrill, and you have to keep looking and keep searching and, and keep finding things that are going to challenge you and excite you and I think it's in that sort of in that gap where you know we're probably most alive
1: I think so yeah and I and I'm really you know I'm really enjoying Getting back into making things, you know. So I'm I'm setting up another woodwork shop, and I'm getting all these incredibly dangerous machines, you know, which, which is great. Freaks my friends out completely. You know, a blind guy wandering around with whirring blades and and goodness knows what. But I, I really enjoy that, and and uh, and I find the challenge of building things when I can't measure and I can't I can't work a level and that sort of thing. Uh, I it, it, it takes. There's a yeah, it's the challenge of, of of projects that you get the excitement from it's not necessarily the excellence of your execution it's 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 overcoming the challenges of any project I think that um, that, that make it interesting and and the blindness thing um, gives me you know that in spades it's fantastic really
0: yeah yeah I can I can only only sort of imagine it's um yeah, the, 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 the idea that the journey is where the value is and where the fun actually is. And that, um, you know, I kind of like it. You know, and that's one thing I think that, you know, a lot of people think about maybe we get life a little bit wrong in some ways that we, we treat life a bit like a, a, a running race where the idea is to, to hurry up and get to the end. Whereas the analogy that I, I heard that really resonated with me, Pick, was the idea that life's actually a song. And the idea of a song is not to get to the end, but just to enjoy it while it's happening. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I agree. And I do find that as I'm getting older, you know, when I'm making things, I, I used to always have the end in sight. You know, I was sort of dying to be getting towards the end of the project and sort of, I'd said, I'd sort of, um, I'd sort of hurry through some of the intermediate stages in, in the rush to get to the end point. But I find now when I'm doing things that I really enjoy doing all the stages well. You know, and 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 the end of it is just another stage. You know, when I get to the end of a project, yeah, now I'm gonna I have to start thinking about a next project. So, um, and so all every stage of it, I I relish. You know, I, t- I just love it.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And like one thing that really sort of one thing that stands out for me from reading your book was your your resilience to I don't want to say failure but to, to obstacles you know you had you had real estate deals that failed and as, as far as I'm aware you decades later you still owed money for them you've had businesses that failed and and you kept going And at the, at the ripe old age of you know 55 you know you, you you started a peanut butter company you know do you do you think of yourself as particularly resilient and and what sort of allowed you to sort of keep going each time
1: I've, I've developed. I, I I was interviewed a while ago, and somebody said, "Oh no, we want to hear what mistakes you've made and what you've learned from them." And I spent a long time thinking about this, you know, trying to think of, of mistakes I've made. And honestly, the whole notion of a, of a mistake is a really weird thing, you know. The only the only reason you could ascribe an event in your life as a mistake, if you is if you think your life is crap and you want to blame it on something. If you're happy with your life, you have made no mistakes. Everything has been perfect, you know. And I really think that's how how life is. We don't make mistakes, you know. A mistake is something you could never come back from, you know. And 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 I think I don't think we do make mistakes. I think we I think everything we do is perfect. If if we're happy with where we are, and I think you can be happy, I think you can be happy with where you are by just making the decision to be happy. I mean, I I I, I feel sorry for people who who suffer from depression and, and those sorts of things, but you know, you just um gratitude, I think, is a is a huge is a gift, you know, and to be to find things to be grateful for, which you can find any time, you know. I think is um, and that and that means that, you know, nothing has gone wrong. Nothing in your life has gone wrong. You know, you might think, oh, no, if I'd married this woman, if I hadn't married this one, if I'd done this, or if I'd kept that house now, if I'd kept that house, it would be worth a fortune now. But you wouldn't have done anything in the meantime. You know, thank goodness you got rid of that and got on and had some adventures and, you know, had a few, you know, failures and whatever, you know.
0: It's a great way to look at it. I think that... Um that, yeah no such thing as a mistake is a, is, a, is a fantastic way to frame it I think that I always think that you know at the time you know we always you know we, when something happens to us you know we can always it's very easy to sit there and say you know things like you know why did this have to happen to me but when you get older and you get a bit of wisdom and hindsight and experience you start to recognise that it's those very same things that you resented at the time that have in fact made you who you are today and it's, it's the kind of it's the art that you now get to wear taking forward.
1: It is. No, that's right. And everything that happens to you, you know, you, it's, uh, it's a terrible thing to try and think, oh, my God, if I do this wrong, then everything will be catastrophic, you know, whatever. And so it's, a, you know, it can stop you doing so much stuff.
0: Yeah, the, uh, I think it's, the, it's that quote, that the, the fear of failure kills more dreams than failure itself.
1: Oh, of course, absolutely. You know, and it is, and it's fear, fear of so many things that absolutely are needless. You know.
0: Yeah and and like you know at the time you know it's it's again it's one of those things you know after you've had a few things that you that maybe you didn't intend them to happen and we could call them a failure or a mistake or whatever whatever you'd like but you know once you've had those things you know it's it's easy in hindsight to look back and be like oh yeah I'm glad that happened at the time you know you've talked about having businesses fail you've talked about um you know uh, you know various different things that have, have not worked out as you intended do you ha- do you have the ability? Like, are you conscious of that at the time? Are you still? Are you, you must still be frustrated or upset or angry, or is it just that you just get on with it and, and keep going? Uh,
1: well, when when I when I had to close the restaurant, you know, and I, and auction off all the stuff there, uh, that that was a bit of a knock, you know. I thought, oh gosh, that didn't work out as well as you know building a boat and sailing around the Pacific, and it was a you know. um... I did well on the building. You know, I'd actually bought the building, but if I'd just left the building empty, I would have done better than I did by setting up this beautiful restaurant in there. But I, didn't, I wouldn't have got the experience of, of meeting all those people in Nelson.
0: Once you can look back and you've got hindsight and retrospect towards, you know, something that didn't go well, it's easy to say, well, I'm glad that happened now because if not, I would not be here. But at the, ti- at, at, at the time, it can be very consuming that it's gone wrong. So let's use the restaurant, for example. You know, what, you, know you, you, you come to the realization that it hasn't worked. You've got to close the doors. You auction off all the stuff. Like, what's your sort of mindset like when that's happening? Or are you, are you like, right, on to the next thing?
1: Well, I I was onto the next thing, and the next thing, and and actually, it, it, the it made me more cautious. So I didn't just rush in to charter my boat out, you know, put it into survey and and get my skipper's ticket. I actually started actually really spending some time and and checking out the market. So that's what that taught me, I guess, was to to um, do more research and get a bit more. <clears throat> bit more thorough on on rather than just because I thought you know and I had this beautiful building and I thought I'll build a restaurant I'll put a restaurant in here and I'll lease it out because I wanted to get the building let out I thought a nice restaurant that we make it more valuable to lease but I didn't realize I'd never checked that people wanted to lease restaurant people just wanted to set up their own restaurants so they want to find a building and say oh this would be a nice restaurant I'll these chairs and I buy these knives and forks. They didn't want to move into something existing, and I had not realised that at all. I thought that would just be a, an easy way for me to, to rent out space in this in this beautiful building I'd found in Nelson. So, um, so and the next step when I was thinking of chartering my boat, I really started researching, and and then the researching led to um, publishing my list of boats that I was discovering and, and starting this charter guide. And actually, when When I and I was running happily doing a charter guide, and I'd completely forgotten that my intention of publishing this list of boats was so that I could become an expert in 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 the the charter industry, and know how what to do, and know know what sort of service to be offering. And it wasn't until I'd got the idea of running a sailing school when I was, I was looking in the back of a magazine, you know, it was, a, it was a sailing magazine, and they had about three pages of charter boats and about 20 pages of sailing schools. This was an international magazine. And I knew we had a whole lot of charter boats in New Zealand, but we had no, we had maybe half a sailing school. You know, Penny Whiting's took women's courses in Auckland was an amazing sailing school. And there were a few people trying to do practical sailing lessons, but... People would buy, buy yachts, you know, and they and they take them out of the marine on a beautiful day with a whole family, and come back with a bit of a breeze, and they crash into a few neighbouring boats and cause fifty thousand dollars worth of damage, and get all depressed and sell their boat. And so Pete and and it was really difficult to actually, and I and I figured that by becoming by actually doing that charter guide, and and when I when I thought sailing school, no. And I now remember this was, had been my intention. It had been an intention I'd been holding for seven years about finding out, you know, how to make a living chartering my boat. And it was, really, it was really interesting to think, you know, this was actually an intention I formed seven years ago. And I'd almost forgotten about it, but it
0: just bubbled up. It's always funny how the world unfolds like that, isn't it? You never know. And an intention
1: is an incredibly
0: powerful thing, you know, I don't know whether an intention to
1: become a millionaire is a very useful thing. I I never never had any intention like that. But actually something, you know, like, um, you know, yeah, it can, it can, it really does guide you in a direction and I think that's useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, you know, let's let's you know, I'd like to do want to talk a bit about the, you know, obviously about about picks and the and, and the peanut butter. So, you know, we sort of we sort of sort of you sort of gave us a, a cliff notes version at the start, and uh, and you know, one of the one of the sort of um, you know, uh, parts that really sort of caught my attention, and I've been I've been out there and been to your peanut butter world and stuff as the as the concrete mixer sort of idea, and and when you were in your garage and you had that sort of gas heater there, and you were sort of you know. Sort Sort of um, strapping these different things together to try and help you roast your peanuts and stuff, and it really started out started out quite small. Literally, sort of selling in the in that Nelson market, um, you know, each Saturday. When did it? You know, when did the point? You know, when was the point where you sort of thought? You know, you said you were trying to make a couple hundred dollars a week to help you sort of in retirement. When 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 did you realise it was sort of going to be bigger than that? Well,
1: so a few things happened, like. We started off in the Nelson Farmers Market, which is a very low-key affair on Friday afternoons, and and then um, I was offered a spot in the Saturday Market, which is a much bigger affair and uh, has quite a you know nationwide reputation. It's a really a really top class you know um, weekend market, and uh, but the manager of the market, Nita, said that you know you I couldn't I couldn't sell my Peanut butter that I was making in my garage at her fancy market, and I had to get myself a proper licensed kitchen to do it in. So I spent, I had to muck around and, and find a space and, you know, cheap enough space, and I fixed it up. And um, it was a bit bigger than I needed. I sublet the back of it to a, a, a couple who were making jam, and they had a young couple working for them. Anyway, um, the these um, this young couple thought they, might, they would prefer to work for me, and so they helped me make peanut butter. We started making a bit more, and they managed to get us through um, a food safety program that would allow us to sell into supermarkets. So we started getting a few orders from supermarkets, but at the time I, I, was, deter- I was doing my writing course, I was determined not to get into into a business, you know. I'd I'd, I'd head staff with the restaurant, and I didn't want to have, a, have to hire a whole pile of invoicing staff, and I didn't want a forklift and all sorts of things that would sort of indicate, you know, that was getting out of out of control. I was happy just to have uh, say, you know, demand a bit of, a little bit ahead of our capacity, and and I thought that would be nice and easy. And then one day. Uh, we had uh, a truck turned up. We were buying our, our, our jars on a pallet by this time, about a 1,000 jars on a pallet. <laughs> I'm getting a delivery once every couple of weeks. And the truck turned up with a pallet of jars on the back and and we used to borrow the neighbor's forklifts to, to bring the pallet into the factory and not, none of them were available. And I went round the corner and, and there was a forklift hire place or lease place and I leased or bought a forklift Uh and and I brought it back and I picked up the pallet and drove it into the factory. And I thought, this is actually pretty cool, you know? And so and then I thought, well oh, shit, I've got a forklift now. And you know, that didn't feel that wasn't too painful. And you know, what 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 am I what's holding me back? And and so and at that point I uh, I started talking to um, Keith and Stuart, their advisors. And, uh, and at that point, I thought, well, there's, no, there's actually no sense in keeping brakes on it because you know I'm enjoying it. And uh, so, so, yeah, that was that was that was the point that, that that sort of switched switched across.
0: Yeah, did did you ever think it would get this big? Oh God, no!
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking out. I'm looking out of Pinavada World here, and it's this massive, great, big hall. We can have we can have 300 people in here for drinks and nibbles and things, or maybe make it available for community functions and things. And, and there's a cafe going on and gift shop, and you know, it's it's madness. Well, during non-COVID time, we run the tours and things, and it's just it's it's extraordinary. And we've built this beautiful, beautiful factory, and, and when it was half built. We had massive, I had massive support, I have to say, here from, from, um, a uh, 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 property developer in Nelson here and Bill Coburn. who was an elderly gentleman who, who had a, a little office next to my original factory. And I used to spend time chatting with Bill. And so he supported us in, in building this, um, this extraordinary building, which, um, is so unlike a factory. It's sort of a Willy Wonkerish kind of joint. And it's very exciting, actually. And so I, but I never imagined you know, I would ever be building anything like this, or, or you know, owning it. That's incredible, really.
0: Yeah, and and to to even you know you know peanut butter world <laughs> you know like you, you just we said it before like it's something that we that's normal but it's um you know you've you've sort of t- you've grown it from a you know from literally a you know an fmc a fast moving consumer good to this this iconic sort of um you know destination for people to visit and be immersed in the experience and um you know do you ever sit back and sort of think like f- far out <laughs> what have I done
1: oh absolutely and and you know when when I thought of oh Peanut Butter World. I I thought, oh, what a what a what a stupid thing. And and but you know now it is. It's Peanut Butter World, and that's okay. You know, there's a sign by the motorway. There's a sign on the motorway. Next exit, Peanut Butter World. You know, it's it's there. It's like uh, it's yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Really, it's a most most extraordinary thing.
0: Yeah, and, and how big is it now? Like, you know, you, you, uh, as far as I think in the book, you talked about doing, you know, fifty million dollars in revenue a year. Like, do you, how do you gauge it? Is it on is it on production? Like, are you doing how many thousands of jars you're doing, or how? Yeah, well,
1: I'm, I'm not I'm not clear on on, a, on, a, on our annual turnover. It's it's a bit less than fifty mil. But it's, but it's funny things with FMCG. You sort of you sort of say, oh, we do this sales, but then we d- deduct, you know, um, terms and terms. Are, you know that. They don't. You never get terms, but the supermarkets say, "Oh, we're going to need this much and this much and this much off your bill to do this and this and this and and." Uh, but um, so it's a it's a you know, sales are actually a, a bit of an odd one, but. Our, my, my favorite thing is our number of jars we make our three hundred and eighty gram jars and when you know we return, routinely produce twenty five thousand jars a day a
0: day and
1: the other thing that I I think is amazing we've got fifty five people working here you know they're supporting their families they're buying houses you know it's um it's a very it's very cool to be part of a team which is something I've never done in, in my previous working life i just about everything I'd done myself you know I'd never. Trusted anybody to be able to do anything as well as I could because I'm such a smarty pants. And um, but but with my eyesight deteriorating, I I had to delegate stuff. And I discovered there are people who could do things, you know, I have to do better than me. They did it differently. And initially, I thought, oh, oh, that can't be right. But actually, you know, people do things and people can specialise in things. You know, to discover that there are people who, you know, when, they, when the end of the month comes around and say, oh, wacky do, it's nearly the end of the month, i could be able to do the GST, you know. I used to do anything to avoid filling in the GST forms and that sort of thing, you know. But uh, there are people out there and there are people with us who do extraordinary things in their, in their special fields and and, I'm, and I feel very lucky to now be part of a team, which I never was before.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lovely way. I mean, firstly, twenty five thousand jars per day is is crazy from you know a, a, an operation that essentially started with a concrete mixer in your, in your garage. So, you know, congr- con- congratulations. But secondly, what a lovely way to measure it of the, the of the staff and the families that you're sort of growing. And you know, in the book, you talk about uh, peanut butter babies. Yes, <laughs>
1: yes, yes, yes. I've lost count. I've lost count. I've, I've dreamed of getting them all together. You know, all, all the babies that have been born to our staff since we started yeah. and. But uh, there's there's a in fact one of in, in fact um, uh, one of our one of our women did she, soon after we got going had triplets. She did. Um, she 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 took maternity leave, had her triplets, and then came back to see us, sort of you know nine months later, and said, "Well, I'm afraid I'm not be coming back to work." And <laughs> we'd sort of figured that she wouldn't, but uh, no, that was that was lovely. That was lovely to.
0: I thank you for reminding me that because I remember one of the things that I took away. I, I, I run a couple of small businesses here in, in Christchurch, Pick and and one of the things I took away from from um, you know the tour that I did at Peanut Butter World there was that sort of Hall of Fame you've got with all your team members, and they they're all sort of dressed up in things that they sort of identify with when they're not there. You know, there's a guy dressed up as a firefighter because he's a volunteer firefighter, and there's a I remember guys with. Bikes and kids and families and all sorts, and I just I looked at that and I thought that you know you've the, the culture within the organization seems to be phenomenal
1: I would hate people to dread coming to work you know i mean i i I did in my youth I had the odd job you know in a factory or somewhere where I really you know or or clock watching or i I worked in a hospital for a bit and I was a special duty orderly. And there was nothing to do I just had to walk around pretending I was doing something because you know otherwise people would find inane things for you to do and it, and, it, and it just the days dragged so much and I and i I thought I never want this to I never want to be responsible for for people feeling like this. I mean, having said this, I you know I come to work and I sit up in this office up here with the air conditioning on. There's guys down in the factory who's who's sort of picking up jars and putting them down and f- rushing around fixing machines and stuff. And 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 but and we do, you know, it's it's very well for me to say. You know, we're all, we're all happy families here. Um, we do really well, though. I do think you know people people tend to stay. We don't get a big staff turnover here, and that's. Uh, it is. It's special, and I, and, I, and and one of the one of the things I find is that we, when we get the visitors through here, and and our people, our people get to see the visitors come through, and they and they know how much their work is appreciated. You know, these people are mad peanut butter fanatics. You know, they come through. They great. Their kids dream of coming to the peanut butter factory, and you know they're wide eyed watching this extraordinary stuff going on with with these amazing machines and people in white coats keeping them working and running and this incredible volume of peanut butter coming out, and it, it impresses the kids, and the and the parents, and and they see, and, and our staff see how much their work is valued. I think often factories are hidden away from anywhere, and 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 you know, and you tell your kids, oh, you don't want to work in a factory, you know? Oh, look at that. There's poor people sort of going in there in the morning and coming out at five o'clock at night, looking pale and and. And never actually knowing what's happening to the work they're producing. So I think it's very important. It's also important for our customers to see that the people who are making it are engaged and they are, you know, happy to see them and and that sort of thing. It works both ways very much.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine that's a it's a lovely insight because traditionally you'd say that, you know, you, you know, people you don't really get insight into insight into a factory. But you know, interesting, you talk about the the it being valuable from 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 both sides that, that your team realised you know just how valuable their their staff are. So, what a what a fantastic way to look at it. Have there, you know, in, in terms of growing the business as, as it has over the years, is there, you know, a couple of key things or key moves or or, or things that you've sort of done along the way that have, you think have really sort of accelerated your growth at all? I know it's hard to sort of put down, you, you look at a, a business that's, you know, been operating for, you know, the length of time Pix has and it's, it's hard to sort of, it, it tends to generally be lots of small things you've done right over a long period of time. But is there anything particular, even maybe a philosophy, the way you've approached something over the last sort of you know I think the
1: first one was bringing on um Keith and Stuart you know for an outside view with experience in in this industry and to have them have a look over my plan and and then to um you know give us advice they they sort of consulted with with me you know a lot as we went along and then Stuart came on he was spending more and more time with us and then we uh, he appointed him as um as initially um, general manager and, and now CEO, and so and Stuart came in and he really went to work on the culture. So we had our, our factory manager was really struggling. He was not accustomed to managing people. You know, I mean, he was very keen to employ, you know, kids he thought could use a bit of bit of discipline, bit of work, uh, and but but the culture in the factory was not. It wasn't good, you know. It wasn't re- respectful, and 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 one of the first things Stuart did was institute um, an anti swearing campaign. So you had to put fifty cents in the jar every time you swore. And I thought this is stupid, you know. This is ridiculous. But and then and then we brought in drug testing, and I thought this is going to be this is terrible. I mean, I you know having you know enjoyed the odd puff of marijuana in the past myself, I thought this is this is hypocritical. But actually, having it in the workplace and 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 developing a workplace that was respectful and inclusive and you don't you know, you can still, you know, you you do you do need to when you're operating with a with a big group of people, you do need to show respect to each other and 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 make room for for different people's different different people's sensibilities. And and, and it really made a big difference, you know. It surprised me. It really surprised me. And, and, and these drug testing guys said, oh, I've been approached by people who said, oh, thank you very much for coming in and testing me in the workplace because it gave me the excuse I needed to stop getting stoned every you day. Know? We had an experience like that ourselves, you know. One of our guys, you know, came up to me and he said, you know, otherwise I would have just got stoned every night like I always had done. And, uh, and it's really, you know, it's changed things for me. And also that level of respect when you, when you just get used to actually not nutting off or, or carrying on and, and just realizing that, you know, you, you, you gotta moderate, moderate how, how you are with, with, with a big group of people and show respect. And I think that's been a really important thing. Um. It was a that was a critical a critical time for us was actually developing that respect and 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 putting boundaries around you know how we treat each other.
0: Culture is culture an interesting thing, isn't it? So you know it's always it's vitally important, but it's really hard to put your finger on how you actually change it. Yes, yeah,
1: and and we do we have instituted a regular. Checkups um, on the company culture, and so every six months or so, we have an outside person comes in and, and interviews everybody for you know fifteen twenty minutes, and asks them a bunch of questions and to rate us on as a company on on a whole various range of um, uh, factors that and and so and we take that very seriously. You know, if we if we're getting a bit of a dip, we really do whatever it takes to. Um, to, to make things right again, it's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, uh, a funny story from the book. Well, my question actually is Did Prince William and Kate actually turn up at the opening?
1: We announced that we were going to have a special couple opening the, the new factory. This is uh, one before this factory, the previous iteration of our current factory. And, uh, and we announced that a special couple would be on, on hand to open the, the factory. And um, I arranged with my mate, who's a lawyer, who's got a fancy car, to see if he would be able to carry our special our special um, guests from the from from the airport to to the factory. And uh, it happened to be the gate, and it was at the time that, that Prince William and Kate were in the South Island, and they were visiting Marlborough, and they had nothing on their schedule for this day. You know, that was obviously clearly they were having a day off. And, uh, and so anybody who was interested in wondering who the special couple were, and they looked up, you know, they thought, Oh my goodness, perhaps it's William and Kate. And so, uh, so there was a, and, and my, my lawyer with his car, he was, he was nervous as anything because, you know, he cleaned the car out specially and he was convinced that they were coming. And, um, anyway, so in the event we, we, and we hired a, um, um, a couple of actors, local actors and, uh, and they, dress themselves up in a nice suit and 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 Kate got it and um, and then they turned up and they realized they didn't have a baby you know because they, they, they just had a baby so they didn't have a baby with them and so they were getting dressed to their old factory and um, and and so uh, Kate, Grabbed a, uh, a couple of tea towels and a few and a, and a couple of uh, one kilo jars of peanut butter and wrapped them around the tea towels and wrapped the tea towels around them and put them under her arm. And they came down in this fancy Porsche thing and, and uh, parked in the front and all the crowd was standing around and and uh, and we we lifted them up on a forklift, put a cage on the forklift and lifted them up to to cut the ribbon with a big pair of secateurs or something. And uh, uh, I, I guess you know a few people might have still been thinking it was the real thing by that point but I think most people figured it was just a joke so uh that's very
0: cool. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I, I, I read it in the book and, you know, you told the story about having to announce them and you weren't quite sure what, what they should be addressed as. And I sort of read it and I was like, far out, he's done this. And I actually went and checked and I Googled the picture and it, it came up with these two people that definitely were not <laughs> yes. And the baby definitely wasn't the, you know, the royal uh,
1: the royal highness so it was a couple of
0: jars of peanut oh, butter. A fabulous, a fabulous PR stunt, if nothing else. That's uh, that's incredible. You've caught, caught my attention. Cool. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I couldn't figure out reading the book in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the business growth of, is sort of what's, how do you see your sort of primary skill or what's your sort of, uh, you know, what, you know, I couldn't tell if you, are you the marketing genius behind the way you did everything? Is it is it the PR stuff like the Prince William and Kate or are you the, the entrepreneur that, that designed the product and then were able to unite a whole group of people together to focus on, you know, where you go? Is there a particular skill set that you think has allowed, you know, to contribute to the growth?
1: I think I have marketing strengths, you know. I mean, I haven't ever studied marketing per se or anything, but, but there's, I, 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 I notice things that I like, you know. Like um, a long time ago I was, I, I was staying at a friend's place and I was having a shower and they had all these jars of shampoo around the, you know, the ledge up above the shower there and I grabbed one and um, and it was bright green stuff, and, and I took the top off and it smelled like mint sauce, you know, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I've never had a mint-flavoured shampoo and rubbed it on my hair and it washed my hair and I see. And then I had a look at the label and it said something like Bob's Shampoo. And this is what it said. It said Bob's Shampoo. It smells like mint sauce, but it's really nice and it feels good on your hair. And I And I thought, this is amazing. You know, this is so unlike your average bottle of shampoo that's called nature's tonic shampoo with all the fresh aroma of forest mint harvested on it, you know, a cold, misty morning and, and with the new beta carotene that sort of, you know, all that sort of bullshit. It actually said what you might say to a friend if you handed them the shampoo and said, try this. It smells like mint sauce, but it's really good. You know, like, and, and, and so I th- I thought if I make something, I want it to, I want the, I want the writing on the thing to, to be like I'm talking to somebody. You know, and, and I and I and I looked at that, and when I started the labels, I was doing my creative writing course. I thought I want you know this is this is this is a publication. I've got a publication here, an opportunity to get a publication out in the world and talk to people. It happens to be wrapped around a jar of really good food, but um, it's so much more than that. And if I, if I, if I didn't, and if I don't just go off the supermarket and look, oh, what do you put on a peanut butter jar? Oh, yes, you put put this, put that, and a little sort of tagline and a few nice colours and a cartoon or two. Um, I, I thought I want to, I want to really, I want to really talk to those people that are eating it. And so I've always always tried to, yeah. You know, talk to people like you would talk to people, you know, like, um, and to treat them with respect. So and we have poem. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Matty, we've got poems on the back of the labels.
0: I have, I have, and that was sort of one of my next questions, actually, because that's one of those interesting things that you don't, there's no value added to it, and you don't know until you, you know, but it was, from from the book, it sort of sounds like that was sort of the, the time you're doing your creative writing course, and it was a way to sort of involve that in the in the peanut butter, is that right? Yeah, yeah,
1: well, that's right. And also, you know, I, I want to, um, I like, I like poetry. I mean, I haven't done a lot lately, but I have really enjoyed writing poetry. Uh, and I, uh, and I, and I, I I like the idea of of putting it out there in the world in sort of random places, like on the back of a peanut butter label. And, and, and we've never really talked about it. I mean, we have alluded to it occasionally. On the new, if uh, I don't know what's currently on our labels, but the nutrition information panel, which says how much potassium in it and how much protein and how much fat and stuff, at the bottom of that it says poems one, you know, just at the bottom of this warring list of others. You never notice that. Yeah, no, you don't notice that. But there's things, and, that, and I like that there are things you don't know. So a lot of people ne- have never known that there are poems on the back of the label until somebody tells them, you know. And you don't need to make everything blatant. I
0: don't think. So, so mar- marketing is—you think that's your sort of natural ability in terms of sort of. I mean, that's that was my thought when I read the book and I uh, listening to what you've done and and things like that. The the Prince William and Kate sort of PR concept is—you uh, know—I think that you're a you're a genius marketer. That would be my sort of.
1: Well, yeah, I I don't, I, don't, I, I, I hate to um, think of the term genius, but I. Um, I do like it, and I do think you know all it takes is a bit of thinking about you know what what might and 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 treating with people with respect you know people treating people as intelligent people you know and that, and there's no excuse for dumbing stuff down and saying oh no we need to appeal to a mass market so we've got to you know put tits and bums on here whatever you know but just mm-hmm. just to um, just be respectful and 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 treat people like you would like to be treated I think you know when you're talking yeah. to them.
0: And it did right. It's a, it's a really interesting way to to put it. And that shampoo experience sounds like the uh, you know the the light bulb moment or the aha moment for you. But I think I think it just says picks really good peanut butter, doesn't it? And that's the yeah. That's and, the, I, and
1: I and and I angsted when I started making it. I thought, oh, there's a lot of people out there who don't like peanut butter. You know, when I first started doing trials, oh no, I don't like peanut butter. They'd say, you know, and I thought, well, maybe we should call it something else. And I really got quite serious about calling it peanut paste or peanut something or peanut mousse or peanut pate, something like that. And uh, and then I thought, no, if I did that, people would say, what's this peanut mousse or uh, peanut butter? And so this, it would be bullshit to sort of call it anything other than peanut butter. So I called it peanut butter. And then um, people would taste it and they would say, oh, oh, that's really good. And so that's what I picked up, you know, that I think, you know, that just those things that people will say about it. And we're moving on from the really good now. We've, we've, uh, we've, um, it's been there for a long time we're putting a fresh roasted because a lot of people don't realize that many peanut butters in this country are not fresh roasted. You know, that people import, you know, roasted peanuts from wherever the nuts come from. So we go to great expense and, uh, to roast our own peanuts here, which you get to smell when you come through the factory
0: yes yeah absolutely oh, it's, um, no, I love that that approach that sort of real genuine and, and as you sort of coined it respectful that's um that's very interesting um what's what 's next for Pix peanut butter obviously you, you know you're, you're changing your your tagline but um where do you see the company sort of going
1: uh well i'm i'm wanting us to become you know truly sustainable so um really you know i i found i'm finding lockdown a real i think lockdown is is giving us a real opportunity to reset the way we live. I mean, I don't, I stopped driving 10, you know, 10 years ago. And I don't, I don't, oh, I have a, I have an electric car, but my, my partner drives. Um, and I, I just, you know, during lockdown, to the first lockdown in particular, to see the skies clear and the way the birds came back, you know, we at, Mara, at Maraho, where, where my holiday place is, you know, fish came back in the sea where the aqua taxis all stopped whizzing up and down the coast all the time. Fish came, started coming in close to land. And and the birds were coming out, and and you could, you know, the and the and the air in Wellington, you know, ninety percent, something like the, the 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 smog reduced by ninety percent, which is phenomenal. The particles in the air, and you know, what's that worth? And and what's what's it going to take for us to actually slow climate change to a degree that we can, you know, rely on the planet to keep us going? And I think this is this is the critical. Part that business has to play, and I, I think um, I, th- I think business is ahead. From from what I'm seeing, I'm I'm seeing business ahead of of just a regular you know people, as far as making an effort, because I think you know there is commercial benefit in being seen to be doing the right thing, um, and reducing our waste, um, and and doing everything we can to, to reduce our footprint and and, and and do what we do without make making the minimum impact on, on the planet. So one of the things we're doing is, um, is we're, we're doing peanut growing trials in Northland, so to cut down our supply line, lengths of our supply lines, and and just become a little bit more focused on what we do well rather than trying to rush off around the world and flog off stuff all over the world, um, And 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 we're looking at, um yeah, we're looking at solar panels all over our roof, so we can we can cut out our our um the the electricity we're buying in by thirty percent. Uh yeah, I think that that's that's what matters for me. You know, I'd like us to become as community focused and environmentally friendly as we possibly can and and to help lead, you know, New Zealand businesses and into into becoming truly sustainable and and, uh, regenerative.
0: It's incredible. I think that, um, you know, that's an easy thing for people to say that they want to do, Um, but uh, it's an easy thing to put on your wall or to quote that you're doing this, but I think it's – because it's not cheap to do. That's the thing. It's commercially, commercially, it's got long-term benefits. You know, we all understand that we're going to have to go that way in the future. And I think consumers will start to pick and choose the products and services that they engage with in the future based on, um, you know, their environmental um, impact. But at the moment, short-term, it's commercially, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a decision that doesn't necessarily align with creating more cash flow or cash. It um, it costs money and 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 the benefits are long-term rather than immediate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see that.
1: You know, I see that expenditure um, coming out of a marketing budget, you know, rather than buddy buying advertisements and stuff. I would like – I want us to – we're getting these panels on the roof. We're getting, you know, um, uh, offs, carbon offsets and all this kind of stuff. And 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 because I think our customers value that and, and uh, it's um, – you know our customers are everything and and it's and 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 we have to justify our existence and and what we do you
0: know hey, um tell me about losing your sight you know because you didn't really go into it much in the book you sort of just sort of talked about it and it was sort of and it was sort of um you know you, you just kept going and one thing that you said before that was really interesting and and I picked it up in the book as well um was that. You know you're you, once you started losing your sight that it became that became the catalyst for you trusting and empowering other people to do things that that you were sort of trying to do by yourself. and that in turn was really what you know allowed your growth to sort of skyrocket a little bit. But um you know what was it like? I mean, we can deal with that in a second, but what was it like when you started to realize that your 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 sight was going?
1: Um, well I had, it had I had macular degeneration, which is a very common form of um, visual disability uh, which affects my central vision so the bit in the middle where you do your focusing just doesn't really work it stops and so you're left with peripheral vision and so my peripheral vision is probably similar to most people's but it means you can't sort of sort of around and focus on something. And when I'm looking at somebody, usually I'm looking a bit away from them, which is sort of like what blind people do and sound a bit weird. Kids want it weird sometimes. Um, anyway, so that that was it. But when when it uh, I I, uh, I, when I used to I you know, I really enjoyed sailing, you know, I really I really loved sailing, but as my eyesight sort of got worse and I found myself Um, struggling to diagnose, you know, mechanical things on the boat that were, weren't working properly. Um, and, and feeling, you know, unconfident about keeping it all working. Uh, that, that was, that was quite, that was quite a disappointment, you know, and also, you know, not being able to, um, uh, see very far ahead of the boat and, and, or spot hazards and stuff so uh, and 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 having to give up my boat and uh, and and skippering um, I found hard because I really like I liked, I love the responsibility of being a skipper and, and making sure you know it was okay and I think that's come out that's run over into the business you know we, they don't call us captains of industry for nothing you know it really is a very similar um, responsibility of you know, running a business you know because you're responsible for um, the the, the incomes and livings of a, of a lot of people, um, and I and I do like that responsibility. Uh, but anyway, so um, and I I did an ice house course, a management course, um, a few years back, and one of the things that really stood out for me. Was that a lot of these fellow owner managers on this on the program were spending every hour of the day trying to be over everything in the business? You know, they were doing the marketing, they were on the tools, they were doing the books. You know, they were staying up till ten o'clock at night and waking up at eight o'clock, and worrying themselves sick. And I realised that I wasn't doing that. You know, I had people I really trusted, in generally, generally, I had one or two people that you know I, I didn't feel comfortable about. Um, but I had people who were doing those things for me, and and I, because I had been forced to delegate. I think that was a huge, a huge uh, blessing for me. was was to um, to have to do that. One of the hardest things to give up for me was the graphic design. I love graphic design, but you know, as a software, I, you know, changes in the software and not being able to really see what was going on on the screen. I had to, um, I had to give that up and. And so I went through a lot of graphic designers until I decided, okay, well, they're going to do it differently to, to how I would do it, but I just had to suck that up and, and trust them. So uh, that's what happened. That's what happened there. But, you know, that, that was, yeah, it was, I was really, you know, and, and I think, you know, delegation is one of the hardest things to do as a manager. Um, and I think I was being very lucky on that score.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, luck's a portion of it, but I think, you know, it's a, I mean, it's, it sort of relates back to what you said earlier and what we talked about at the sort of beginning was that, you know, you look back on things that maybe whether you call it a failure or a mistake or an unfortunate event, and you look back on it now and you realise that, um, you know, you wouldn't be where you are without that event occurring. And, uh, you know, you your sight or the degeneration of your sight is probably the, the epitome of that story is that, you know, at the time it's probably something, you know, obviously it was uh, – it was it was something you didn't want, and, and and you're you know probably saddened by it? I would suggest, but you look back now and you realise that it was in the the process of that happening that that allowed you to to free up some of your responsibilities within the business and trust other people and hire people and delegate to them, and and in turn, it's it's all those skills commercially that actually really allow you to grow. Yeah,
1: and and I you know I do think back on the other businesses I've had in the past, you know, and. Uh, if I had been, and I wonder if I had been more prepared to involve other people, um, whether uh, any of them could have been successful. And I think that's—I I, I don't think it matters too much what you do. You know, it's just the just sort of doing it right. You know, doing it with some enthusiasm and 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 with the right people, I think you can you can do anything can be extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, when you were talking there about that that course you did and the the fact that all the other owner managers were sort of, you know, working all the time by sort of. Uh, they're guilty, you know. That's certainly what I, you know, we've, my wife and I run run two businesses here, and that's an interesting insight for me to think about that uh, that potentially me trying to do a little bit of everything is actually restricting our ability to grow. So exactly, um, and they, and other people
1: yeah. will do it differently to how you do it, and you may not think that that's right, but you know, you give them their head, and I think that's the other thing because I can't look over their shoulder, I can't go to a spreadsheet and say, "Well, oh, who spent forty bucks at this place last week?" You know, I can't do that. And so, people who are in charge of these things feel trusted, and I think they rise to that. You
0: know, yeah, people rise to responsibility, and mm. and sometimes, you know, when it, when it comes to you know working with team members, you you know you really have to hire the right person and then get out of their way. You That's know? true. Yeah. At, if you're micromanaging them, then it's it's frustrating for them. It's bad for you, and you know a whole business clone, a whole business full of people that are just clones of yourself is actually unproductive. You no, know, well, you that's right. those-
1: and, and and I have also learned, you know the things that I just can't do. I mean, I'm 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 terrible at being clear with people. You know, I'm terrible at at at, at um, you know pulling people up or telling them what I expect and things. But Stuart's amazing at that. You know, and he's. He's very clear and uh, and I'm not. I just want to be everybody's friend, you know. You know, I get these people around me that, that uh, do all that stuff and do it really, really well. And there are things I do well too, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Hey, um, you know, one thing that's sort of pretty constant throughout your life, and you've talked about it a lot in here, is your love of the ocean and of sailing and of, of adventure. You know, you know, in general, I'd probably say I'm a, um, I'm a similar myself. I've I spent um, about three years working on yachts overseas with my partner, and um, but bigger yachts. I think we sort of worked on the super yachts, and um, you know, we we crossed the Atlantic and did a few sort of crossings and Oh, and pieces, they love but, kiwis. They love kiwis over there, don't they? Yeah, they, yeah. We 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 had a we had a, we had a blast. But, um, you know, I I was sort of... I have I have a huge sort of um, you know love of the ocean, and I think that it's um, it, you learn a lot about yourself. It sounds a bit sort of you know um, woo woo, but I think that you know the the um, you know one thing I love about the ocean is that it's it's untouched. It's the way it was forever. You know, like the, yeah. every every bit of land looks different now. You know, yeah. pretty much. But the ocean is pretty much what same people were dealing with you know thousands yes. of years ago. And you know, what's that sort of part of your life taught you, or, or, or is it is it something you've always done for fun or is there something you sort of sit back and you know do you think that your love of adventure and your your sort of appetite for risk has sort of been um you know something that's that's transcended everything you do and the the sailing adventure is just part of that
1: uh coming back to you know the ocean and the timelessness of it you know when when i when i was writing the web page for the sailing school you know, I talked about learning to sail, and rather than saying that oh, we have the finest of modern yachts, and you know, we will do the blah blah blah, I, I talked about um, sailors' skills being the same as they had been, whether your a, with a Portuguese caravel or a voyaging walker. You know, they were basically the same skills, give or take a few comforts, and, and these were the what we hoped to teach you. By, you know coming sailing with us and i i really i really you know and i really feel that you know because it's just um, and also and the total responsibility for yourself you know there's no one else out there you you're responsible for getting that boat organized getting you know making sure everything's in in, in good nick and and when things happen um the other thing, you know, on a, on a boat, when things happen, you've got time. It's not like and, and you come back, you get back into sea after sailing, you know, for a few months. You come back on land and get them drive along a motorway and you, god, the speed. All it's going to take is for someone on the other side of the road to be swatting at a fly or something, and they crash over, and that's all over. You know, no time to do anything. You know, at least if you've got a gathering storm coming up in the middle of the ocean, you've got time to do stuff. You know, you've got time to prepare. You've got time to. You know, take things if a water boat starts to sink, you've got time to think about getting the water out or getting. You know, you can do things, and, and it's and and stuff slows down, and, and it's and those rhythms of the day and the night just keeping on going. And um, I was amazed to find, you know, on a long passage that by the time it was, you know, you were approaching land, it was usually with very mixed feelings. You know, you you think, oh. I could just keep doing this. Which when you set when you set sail, and I don't know, I don't know how it's been for you, but but heading offshore, it, it, it's quite fraught, you know. I mean, I I would go off my food if I don't get seasick, but I would go off my food for a day or two, you know, with nervousness, wondering whether I'd done everything right, whether the boat was going to sink, or the mast was going to fall off, or the engine was going to fail. And uh, and once it, once you settle into it, you know, you you get that get some confidence, and it just feels yeah, I, I love I the story about, um, oh, I forget his name at the moment, one of those round-the-world the world initial solo races, of French guy, Montessier, Bernard Montessier, and they had a round-the-world single-handed race, and he was coming back towards the finish, finish line, I think he was coming second, and he was listening to the radio to all the hoo-ha that was going on at the finish line, and he thought, bugger this, and he just turned around and sailed around the world again, and then snuck into his home port, you know, after t- double circumnavigation.
0: Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of the ocean and, 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 and love the water. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed that sort of part of your, your life and a part of the book. Uh, yeah, like, I, I'm conscious of your time. I'll finish up with a couple of a couple of uh, quick questions. And, and one would be sort of how do you spend most of your time now? Like, are you are you engaged in the business much, or are you are you family orientated? Or
1: I have a holiday place at Maraho, which is about an hour away in our electric car. And, uh, and I love spending time out there. You know, I've got projects out there. I'm, I'm building stuff and I'm, i really like bricklaying. I love gardening. And, uh, and I like, and I'm setting up another a woodwork shop there where I can, you know, I've got some saws and, and spindle molders and thicknesses and stuff in there. And uh, I really enjoy that and, and, and playing piano. So I, I'm not interested in that. I can't don't really read. I don't don't listen to too much or, or watch um movies much. But I'm I'm really enjoying learning piano and I love the way that, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. And uh but I really like having projects on, you know, I like I love lockdown. I love being out there at lockdown and just waking up in the morning and getting out and, you know, cutting things around and mulching and building things. I'm really enjoying that. And uh but I do like I like coming out, you know, talking to you and, and, and meeting the uh, people at Peanut Butter World and, and, uh, and getting out around the country a little bit. I'm very conscious of of, the, um, of flying, flying around still these days. You know, I, I'm not that keen on burning up fuel on an airplane uh, and just trying to moderate my impact on the planet.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a uh, a nice way to live. Now it's um it's certainly you know well deserved after reading the the the, the adventures you've, you've encountered <laughs> across your life. Well, hopefully so, I have um, more adventures, I, I don't know what absolutely really. yeah. Hey, um what what are you most proud of you know when when you read that book and I look back and I think far out you have really done some stuff as and you look back over your life you've had you know you know commercial success you've obviously had children you've you know you've had some you know a numerous amount of adventures and I'm sure there's plenty more that are untold that that couldn't uh maybe went went went, uh, went appropriate for the book but you know when you look back on your time pick, you know what is it that that you're most proud of
1: um <laughs> I'm really proud that it sort of worked out in the end, you know. I mean, I'm really happy for my my mum's 82. You know, my dad passed away the a couple of days before we had the grand opening here of Peanut Butter World, you know, and, that, and that was that was really bittersweet, you know. He 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 hadn't he never got to see it, but uh, they were to be guests of honor at the black tie event and that sort of thing. And Dad died a couple of days before. He really didn't want to come. But anyway, mum, mum, you know, and and and, but they both got to go to government house when I got invested, invested with a you know um, order of merit, and uh, so that, you know, they that was, you know, they'd had a hard time with me. I was a I was a difficult, but you know, a difficult teenager, and uh, I think that was um, so so they felt really good about that. I think that you know all was forgiven. Um. Other than that, I think the most significant thing was the sailing. You know, sailing around the Pacific and and the sense of achievement, and yeah, I can do stuff. Um, that that brought me was was important. Uh, meeting extraordinary people. You know, the guy that taught me to make furniture was an amazing man. He just he just opened my eyes to possibility, and you know. Yeah, uh his name is John Simpson. And and that's one of the things I tried to bring out in my book. Some of those extraordinary people I've met that, you know, just live life to the full and just grab it by the balls and get stuck in and, and do things, you know. And I have met some wonderful people like that. And they're not famous or anything, but they that I just really wanted to celebrate those people in my book. And uh and and remember them, you know, make sure they're remembered
0: yeah absolutely that's a that's a that's a great answer um last one what do you wish everyone knew you know i i sort of asked this question of everyone that you know what is when you think about you know if you had the opportunity to 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 whisper into the the ears of of the entire planet you know what would the what would the advice be from pick
1: oh i th- i think you know just how amazing life is you know just to just to become aware of how extraordinary it is and, and you know w- we've got one chance at it and and there's so much more to do than sort of play video games or, or 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 stare at screens or or you know um put yourself down that sort of thing you know that the opportunity of actually saying to yourself i'm amazing you know this is bloody wonderful look at me i'm you know you know I think that sort of thing, and how wonderful you know, we are as humans, and and um, and the endless opportunity. You know, world, the world is what we create for ourselves. You know, and, and entirely, I believe that entirely. You know, no matter um, what your situation, you know, you, it's what you create, and, and that's. Uh, I think that's the end of it.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, what a what a lovely way to be. That the you know. The endless opportunity and, and I think that we we take for granted the 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 what we what we do have and it's that sort of idea it's that we we won the most unlikely lottery we could ever imagine and in, in, in fact of just being born and uh the, the only reason we don't value it is because everyone we've ever met won the same lottery
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's funny isn't it yeah and but you know moments of gratitude you know just have a if you if you give us you know just try and work out a give yourself a moment of gratitude for every day you know just think oh oh that's not much but hey this is real I'm really happy about this you know whether or not you just got a stone out of your shoe hey i got the stone out of my shoe great fantastic wonderful you know any old thing
0: it's a wonderful way to be and that sort of positivity sort of uh, oozes from you if, um, if I'm honest pick through your be your book and this uh, and the peanut butter and this conversation as well um hey where can people get the book Pick if people want to have a read?
1: Uh, well, we've got, it has been available in all the, all the bookshops have got access to it. So nationwide distributors sell it through Whitcalls and Paper Classes and all those places. If they haven't got it, they'll get it in for you. You can buy it online. I think Mighty Ape sells it online and Amazon around, you know, around the rest of the world. And, and of course you can buy it from Peanut Butter World here or you can order it from our website. And it's also on the Kindle. Yeah. And Audible unfortunately i couldn't read it but we had uh mark hadlow read it here because i can't sort of read stuff but he did a very good job and he's a a very welcome new addition to the community here in nelson now mark
0: he's moved here oh wonderful hey look um it's a great book. I, again, it's um, it's full of uh, tremendous stories and of, of a of a life that's uh, that's just getting started, but certainly well lived uh, well lived to date. And a uh, pick, I'm I'm incredibly grateful for your time uh, today, for, um, you know, your, 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 your the, the, how freely you've sort of spoken and, and shared your wisdom and insights, and um, you know, obviously I'm incredibly grateful for your peanut butter that you've graced the world with as well, and um, it's 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 really been a privilege, pick, and I'm uh, I'm I'm really. Thankful. For your time today.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much, Matty, and it's been lovely talking to you and and uh, and to your listeners.
0: And there we go. Wow, isn't he a cool guy? Man, it's a, uh, and a great story as well. And, and look, we only touched on a few bits uh, in the interview there, but if, you, if you, wanna, uh, you wanna read an inspiring story of success and resilience and adventure, then certainly go and pick up his book. It's, a, uh, it's an incredible reader and an incredible listen. And, um, and as I said in the, in the podcast, I'm a bit of a fanboy to be honest. I am uh, a huge peanut butter fan and, and Pix is my, uh, my go-to brand, so i privilege privileged to chat with him today. And a privilege is always to have you listening as well. Thank you so much for checking out the Road to Success podcast. I love doing these and it's so cool that people enjoy listening to them as well. So thank you so much for listening. If you did get something out of today, if you could do a couple of things, one would be to share the episode. Um, Whichever platform you're listening to the podcast on right now, just hit the share button and send it to someone or alternatively just tell someone to go and check out the Road to Success podcast. We're on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. That, as I said, would mean the world to me. But thank you again, once again, for listening. Of course, thank you so much to Pick for his time, for his advice, Wisdom, and for, uh, for for hey for Pix Peanut Butter, it's a it's a life changing experience. If you haven't tried it, go try it. If you haven't got his book, go try that. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Love you. See ya. Bye.